Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night. My hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. Another great episode of Talking in Circles is coming at you right now. We're talking about Matt Kenseth and his return to Rash Fenway Racing. It's official. Rash Fenway Racing announced it today at a press conference at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Matt Kenseth will join Rash Fenway. I drive the number six Ford splitting time with Trevor Bain. Um, a, a deal where Bain and, and, and Kenseth will split the car for the rest of the season. Um, Wyndham Resort was announced a sponsorship for the Kansas race. That's where Matt will start. Matt will also run the NASCAR Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Beyond that, they haven't really announced his races, um, but they're still working out the details, as I said in the press conference today. Also, Talladega is on the horizon. We're going to discuss what driver is next to get their first win. Talladega's produced a lot of first-time winners and Bobby Hillen, Bill Parsons, Brian Vickers, uh, Jimmy Spe- uh, a lot of drivers who have sort of had memorable vi- victories here. Um, who's next? Could it be Chase Elliott? What other names are on that list? Also, we'll talk about the best Talladega finishes of all time. Ron Bouchard's 1981 victory. Who could forget that? Was that the best finish of all time? How about Brian Vickers in 2006, uh, Clint Boyer's win a, a bunch of years ago when he passed Jeff Burton, Kevin Harvick nipping uh, Jim McMurray at the line. We'll talk about, about all that and more. It's Talking Circles tonight, 917-889-8280. You can call the show anytime if you want to get on here tonight on Talking Circles. But first, John, obviously the big news of the week, really. We, we talked about it a lot on Monday. There was still a lot of details to be ironed out. It was sort of breaking news when we talked about it Monday night. But here we are Wednesday now, and it's official. Matt Kenseth will return to Roush Fenway Racing, get to drive the number six car. Um, like I said earlier, Wyndham Resorts is a sponsorship. It sounds like they're going to do quite a few races over there at that six car. Kenseth is the guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, like I said, we touched on it on Monday. Um, but what are your thoughts on Matt Kenseth here joining Roush Fenway Racing? I think part of it is Matt didn't want to go away the way he did. Um, but he was pretty honest in his press conference. He said if Jack Roush would have came to him in about January, he probably would have said no. Um, but six months has passed since he's been in a race car, probably got the itch. Um, and it shows there's no hard feelings between Jack and Matt Kenseth when Matt left and went to Toyota because, I mean, Toyota is evil to Jack Roush. So I think Mark Martin had a lot to do with this, too, because Mark Martin brought Matt Kenseth to Roush Fenway 20 years ago, and Mark Martin was the one who announced Matt was back today. And Mark's been working behind the scenes at Roush Fenway for about another, a year and a half that people haven't really known about. He kept it pretty quiet, doing, like, driver coaching and stuff. 
And I think, as they said in the press conferences, and as we talked about on Monday night, um, Steve Newmark said it plain as day, there's nobody better at diagnosing a race car than Matt Kenseth. And the guy before that who was great at diagnosing a race car was Mark Martin. And you've got Mark and Matt both working there to help Roush Fenway get back to where it used to be. And I think they said about it, this isn't just a this year deal. They want Matt to stay and be part of the team for a long period of time. So I think Matt is going to get the car put together, get the car right. Um, and we'll see how this year goes. I was, uh, we talked about it on Monday night. We didn't expect it to just be this year. We expect it to be this year plus, but as of today, it's just this year. And then they'll see where they go from there. I think Matt's, and we talked about it right before we went on the air. I think Matt's probably looking at how the performance goes with this car. Matt Kenseth does not want to drive around and run 20th. Matt Kenseth is used to, I mean, the next to the last race he raced with Joe Gibbs, he won a race. He's got 39 wins in the Cup Series. He is not a backmarker. He wants his car in the top 10, top 15 on a regular basis, or he will be glad to walk away. I agree. I think uh, there's a lot of, you know, performance value in this where you look at it and say, obviously I think um, Kenseth is making a lot more money than Trevor Bain. Uh, he's he's got a, a bigger resume than Trevor Bain, so I think he's looking at it and saying, eh. And Wyndham Resorts really kicked up the finances, saying if you can get Matt Kenseth in this car, we'll pay a lot of money, and I think that's what's going on here. Um, so I think also, you know, Roush is sitting there going, do we really want to make the money, to pay the money to, to Matt Kenseth? But at the end of the day, uh, they they felt like they had to because they're not running where they need to run. Uh, obviously, Bain has struggled in that six car um, for the last year or two or three, if you want to consider that. Um, we really haven't seen much from that six car at all. And this is a good opportunity to, to sort of diagnose what's going on with those race cars. Like you said, Kenseth is a smart guy. He's uh, He really knows how to work on a race car. And it was shocking to me that, you know, Mark Martin came out and said on Sirius that, Jack contacted Mark to ask if Matt wanted the race. Mark had to call Matt and ask him if he wanted to join Roush Fenway, and then the two sort of talked after that. So uh, Mark was certainly demanding in offenses. I think there was some, on, on Jack's part, there was some bitterness that, that Matt left sort of the team high and dry and went to, to Joe Gibbs Racing. But Matt had to do what Matt had to do there. Um, you know, and there was only one driver you could afford to keep, and that was Carl Edwards at that point. Um, so... You know, at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, uh, it's nice to see these two get together again. It's going to be weird seeing Matt Kenseth in a, in a car at Rash Fenway, not number 17. Um, but a, a certainly a, uh, a big day for the, this organization. And um, I think it was something they needed to do. You know, I, I, I think this was a really, they, like I said, they locked a three-year contract up uh, with Fast and All and Sunny Delight. And... Um, fifth third bank over there at Stenhouse's car and I think they look at it and said okay we got that signed up but we can't run these next three years like we have the previous three or they're not going to return we have to get our cars better we have to figure out what's going on with our race cars and Matt Kenseth can sort of figure that out and Matt made some very interesting comments during a press conference saying I'm more interested in, in trying to help these guys get better I'm more interested in talking to Trevor Bain to see how he can get better so certainly, uh, I think it's a, a step in the right direction for Rash Fenway, and a, a big move here for the organization moving forward. Yeah, I um, really do. I think Matt is 
we've we've said it all along. There are very few drivers that ever ran the Cup Series like Matt Kenseth. Matt Kenseth was not anybody who destroyed equipment. Matt Kenseth was always there. He may not have been 70-plus wins like Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, but you look at Matt Kenseth's resume, there's a hell of a lot of top tens. There's a hell of a lot of top fives in there. And he has been phenomenal when it comes to the sport. He takes care of his equipment. If you look at the two drivers that Roush has right now, Ricky Stenhouse has a good habit of going to a backup car on a regular basis. I think Matt's probably going to work with him to say, okay, here's how much you need to get out of your car and practice to do, to get yourself from a 15th to 20th place team to get into the top 10. You need to drive your big bullet. You can't be driving your backup car on a regular basis. And that puts too much pressure on the team back at the shop to have two legit first run cars ready to go. And it puts a hell of a lot of work on the crew during that weekend as they're trying to swap over parts, swap over engines and get the second car ready to go. And they're starting behind. I mean, they're starting tail end Charlie whenever they do that every time. And Trevor Bain has a tendency of finding wherever trouble is on the track in the race. Trevor doesn't wreck as many cars in practice as Stenhouse, but Trevor wrecks more cars in the race. So Roush Fenway hasn't really ever had a chance to get ahead where they build cars and get to the next generation because they keep fixing the stuff that they have right now. And I think Matt's another way to sort of bring some, uh, you know, stability there for sure. Trevor Bain's future, John, we touched it on a little bit again on Monday, but I want to kind of dive a little deep into this and think about this. You know, I saw an interesting uh, graphic on Reddit about Advocare uh, and the races. They have, I think, about 10 more planned the rest of the year with Trevor Bain. Advocare seems very happy with Trevor Bain. Um, So it sounds like he's going to be doing a lot of the Advocare races. Again, the schedule is not – Released yet? I think we're going to see a lot more after Kansas as far as who's in what race car, what car, what time. Um, but Trevor Bain, here he is, a guy who's run full-time the last three years. Uh, Steve Newmark, the president of Roush Fenway, came out today and said he wasn't very happy. He wants to be full-time in his car. He made that clear. Do you think there's an opportunity here for Trevor Bain to look at this and say, you know what, Advocare, we're going to run these two races at Roush Fenway at Talladega and Dover. And then we're going to see where our options are. If we can get in a race car at Kansas, we're going to take pick up and try and do that. Um, and maybe run for the championship or try and run for the championship in another race car and run full time. Is that an option? I mean, there's a lot of teams. There's not a lot of teams out there that are very competitive. Um, but he does have Avocare, and I think they're in his back pocket, and I think they're committed to Trevor Bain. What are your thoughts on Trevor Bain's future? Does he stick this ride out here in a six? Does he look for other options? What do you think? Well, there's not an option out there. It's going to be better than the six. I can promise you that. Um, and Avocare is only doing 15 races this year. So, like you said, there's about 10 races left. So, it's not like he's going to find a, a ride and say, hey, I can get you the next 25 races or 18 races, whatever's left in the season, whenever Kansas rolls around. I don't see – um, Advocare jumping somewhere like that. Advocare has an agreement with Roush Fenway. I don't know if there's anything locked in that agreement that says Trevor Bain has to be the driver. But Advocare has signed with Roush Fenway through 2019. Um, I really think that Lee Spencer put it in whenever um, on Monday, whenever or no, yesterday when the they were starting to talk more about the story going out. And Lee Spencer said, 
Trevor Bain better really do something to Talladega, and he really better do something to Dover. Because Trevor Bain's chance in a cup ride may be gone. Yeah, there's supposed to be X amount of races going in, but if Trevor Bain goes out there and lays an egg at Talladega and Dover, and Matt goes out there and finishes in the top five in Kansas, I wonder if Jack's going to say, hey, Advocare, Matt Kansas is our driver, and he's going to drive the rest of the season. And if you want to be on the car, great. If you don't want to be on the car, we'll see you in court. Because that's the way Jack Roush will do it. I don't think, I mean, if he's got Matt Kenseth in the wings and he's in the shop, do you think, if you are if you own the team, Clayton, if you own that team and you have a choice of a top five with Matt Kenseth or a 20th to 25th place with Trevor Bain and a banged up car that you have to fix at the end of the day, what are you doing? Well, obviously, Matt Kenseth, but the decision, you know, it's easy when we're not, when it's our, not our money on the line. Um, so, you know, and again, Matt's going to come at a higher price than Trevor Bain will. We know that. So, um, Advocare is still a very valuable sponsor to that organization. And I think they're going to, if they want Trevor Bain in the car, that's going to hold some, some relevance here. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing a part-time deal here is because they're saying we need Advocare. We need Advocare's money. Now, I think what Jack and, and Rash Fenway is hoping right now is that Matt could run so good they can sell sponsorship on that six car uh, and, and get Advocare, whatever sponsor to come, and sell that car next year full-time. But right now they don't have anything to do that, so it's sort of a wait-and-see plan here for this six car. Um, but, again, you know, they got to get their cars running better, and if they can do that, uh, certainly I think you can, you can see either Matt Kenseth, Matt Kenseth in that car again in 2019. But right now, you know, it's sort of up in the air. And, um, you know, Bain's a, a guy who, I, again, I think he's got sponsorship there. He might want to go to the Xfinity Series. Uh, after next season, I know a lot of people have been mentioning that as a possibility. Um, but absolutely, I think this is these next two races are interesting for him to watch. He's a very good plate racer. He's one of the Daytona 500. Those cars are very, very fast on the, on the super speedways. They proved in that last year when Stenhouse won here, and he won at Daytona in July. So um, they're very fast. It's an opportunity for Bain this weekend to go and, uh, and win a race. So absolutely, I think it's a, a big deal and uh, something that um, if he can go out and win at Talladega, what a pro- what a good problem it is for Ross Fenway Racing, no doubt about it. Yeah, and one of the things they asked Steve Newmark, um, what happens if Trevor wins at Talladega? Is there a third car? And Steve Mar- Steve Newmark, the president of Ross Fenway, said that's probably we hope to have at the end of this weekend. Obviously, our cars have been really good. We won the race with the 17, and we'd be thrilled to have either the six or 17 win the race this weekend. And he said. That'd be a great problem to have on sun after Sunday if they win. It really would. It would be a uh, a huge, you know, a great problem. It'd be <laughs> really interesting to see what would go on because they've already announced Kansas at uh, at the six car at Kansas. So it's really interesting to see what goes on there um, if that happens. But you know, Bain's got an opportunity this week to go out and really perform and. Uh, you know, they run pretty good at Dover historically, Roush. So a very, um, a, you know, a, a couple of good weeks here for Trevor Bain to go out and prove to everybody that, you know what, they're making the wrong decision here uh, at bringing in uh, Matt Kenseth. 917-889-8280, Clayton Caldwell here, John Harlow there, over there um, on the other side. We're discussing NASCAR racing, talking about Matt Kenseth, 
to Rash Fenway. What's your final thoughts on this, John? I know we, the last two days we really hit this hard. We've, we've t- dive, dove a lot into this. What are your final thoughts on this whole situation between Matt and Rash Fenway? I think it's a uh, great thing. Uh, there's a great quote from Matt Kenseth. They asked him, uh, how much does he want to go out and win races and show the people that passed up on him? And Matt said, I've been doing this a long time. I really don't feel like I have anything to prove. I don't. Obviously, every time you get in a race car and you go to the racetrack, you want to be your best. You go there with the idea of trying to win, and that's never going to change as long as I drive. But I say that this opportunity is never going to – I mean, is probably – um, this opportunity is probably as much of the rest of it. The rest of my role, possible future is something other than driving. If it was just strictly driving, I would have been at the Daytona 500 driving something. So it's more than just driving with this Matt Kenseth deal at Roush Fenway. I think Matt's going to have a role at that, that organization as long as he wants it. And I think that's a good thing that Matt Kenseth back in NASCAR and Matt Kenseth brings a lot to the organization. Yeah, and it's interesting that Mark Martin was there, too. We talked about sort of mending the fences with Matt Kenseth, but, you know, maybe Mark Martin's in a role like that at Rush Fenway. We know Jack getting a little older. Older. There was talks a few years ago that Doug Yates might take over the team. Those have seemed to fizzle a little bit. So maybe, you know, like we've seen with Hendrick Motorsports, where the hot rumor now at Hendrick Motorsports is that when Rick wants to step down and stop running the team, it's going to be Jeff Gordon's team. And Jeff Gordon's um move to go there and run Hendrick Motorsports. Maybe Jack Roush is looking at that a similar situation for Roush Fenway, but if they need it, if they want a future, they got to get their cars running better, and I think basically what they've come to the conclusion is they have to do that now. Um, and Matt Kenseth is a guy who, it, it doesn't make sense for this move long-term when you look at it and say, well, Bain could, you know, if Bain hits wildfire and they could get those cars running better, maybe Bain could, you know, go out for 10 years and be a really good driver, and we know Matt doesn't have 10 years left in him. Matt has three, maybe four at the most left in him. He's going to be 47 years old next season. Um, so, but at the end of the day, they know they need to get their cars better because it's really unfair to Stenhouse. It's unfair to Bain to be running around and stuff that's not top notch. And uh, Matt Kenseth will help them do that and really evaluate their program. And I think that's the main reason why he's here driving the six car at Rash Fenway Racing. Talladega I think another big – Clayton, before we go, go to Talladega, ahead. I think one other big thing to point out into this is Wyndham Resorts is a new sponsor to the sport. And um, Steve Newmark said it's a pri- privilege that Wyndham came on board and every team in the garage has been courting them. And the fact that Wyndham came to Roush Fenway, they needed something to bring them in. And Trevor Bain wasn't going to do it. And I think Matt Kenseth was the key to bringing Wyndham – into the sport, bring in the Roush Fenway Racing, and Wyndham Resorts, there's a lot of money in that organization. So it might be something that will help Roush as they go forward into the future. Oh, absolutely. I think anytime you look at money and, and bringing money into an organization, it's never a bad thing, no doubt about that. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a tough situation for Trevor Bain. It's a, it, I'm sure it was a tough conversation for Steve Newmark and Jack Roush to have with him. Um, but, you know, Matt Kenseth is back, um, and we'll see how many races he runs. It's just going to be wild to see how competitive he is and if that six car picks up performance-wise as the season moves along. Like I said, this week is Talladega Super Speedway. I know it's plate racing not uh, high on the John Harlow list of entertainment, but obviously this race and, and this racetrack have had a lot of history, as I mentioned earlier in the show, at, of first-time winners. 
know, whether it was Bobby Hillen back in 1985, Lenny Pond won his first race back in 1978, Richard Brickhouse in the first race ever in 1969 uh, won his first and only NASCAR Cup Series event at this racetrack. Now, that was a race that was protested, but he still did it. Um, the names go on and on and on. You know, like I said, uh, Ron Bouchard earlier in the in 1981, um, you know, and then you had Bobby Hillen, uh, Phil Parsons won his only race here. Um, one or two wins for Jimmy Spencer. Brian Vickers won his first race here. Uh, what is it about Talladega? Obviously, we know with the plates, but even before the plates, what is it with this racetrack that you think that makes uh, being a first-time winner so such a such a you know, as a young driver, a driver looking for their first win, uh, so so different because it just seems like Talladega, for whatever reason, breeds first-time winners. It has throughout the uh, history of Talladega, but also one of the—I th- mean, it was Brad Keselowski's first win at Talladega too. Um, I really think that just because of how wide it is and how big it is, uh, unlike Daytona, where it's a handling track and it takes a lot more experience to win at Daytona because of the. Daytona is about a groove narrower and you have to really have your car hooked up to be able to go in and out of each lane and be able to get through the middle and be able to run at Daytona. Talladega, you have your foot to the floor and you have several lanes to choose from. If somebody's not there and you can get someone to go with you, guess what? You got another lane to choose from. They can go four wide at Talladega and not pile up the whole place. Somehow I guarantee they will at some point, And that's one of the things lately of where you would get a first-time winner because there's going to be 10 good cars that go home on wreckers. You can bank on it. Unless they do like they did last year where they just drove around and everybody rode the top groove for 100 of the 166 laps, and then all hell broke loose at the end and still took out 10 to 20 cars. I just I think um, there are some good plate racers who haven't had wins yet. I think Michael McDowell is a really good plate racer. I think the front row motorsports, I mean, the one thing with the plate tracks, it equalizes everybody up because everybody's got the same amount of horsepower. The handling, it's a matter of how well you can, your driver can stay with somebody else. And at Talladega, it isn't handling that wins for you. It's horsepower. And if you stay in the draft, you can be able to avoid the wrecks. You have a good chance of being, being there at the end. So there's a few drivers, and I was listening to Lee Spencer talk about this too. I think Michael McDowell is one of those ones that's going to be a sleeper. I think Matt Benedetto is a good little plate, good plate racer. And with his team, I mean, they can't even fill up the entire amount of passes that NASCAR allows. They have 15 people on the entire team, and they get 20 people they can put on the list. So I think you, me, Lee, and Virginia might want to see if we can get to go fast racing and become team members. We get to go to the races every year, I mean, every week. Um, I also think there's a couple others that are sleepers in this thing. Um David Reagan, of course, good plate racer. I think um, Chase Elliott's been able to prove himself on the poles and stuff. Alex Bowman's been a pretty good racer. And William Byron ran great on the plates in the Xfinity Series and in the Truck Series. So that was your first time you could possibly see out of this race. And some of them are from uh, our smaller teams that get equalized whenever they run on the plates. Oh, yeah, and I think that's what makes these races so interesting. In fact, again, you talk about Kieslowski, his first win here is the fact that we've seen a lot of first-time winners, Brian Vickers. That was some controversy, no doubt about it. 
um, you know, when he won his first race back in 2006. Um, you know, talk about David Reagan's win in 2013 when he beat out uh, the likes of Jimmy Johnson and Carl Edwards to win at Front Row Motorsports and give that organization its first ever win. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. last year won his first career race here in this race a year ago. So uh, this race, for whatever reason, even back in the 70s, you know, I talked about um, uh, Richard Brickhouse in the 60s. You know, he had uh, Dick Brooks and, and James Harvey Hilton uh, back in the 70s winning their first races here as well. So um, a very, very interesting racetrack. If there's anybody this week, you talked about a few names. But what about a guy like Bubba Wallace who finished runner-up in the Daytona 500 or Ty Dillon who we've seen – you know, uh, run pretty well at the play tracks and got Richard Childress racing stuff, and they're always pretty good at the play tracks. Um, you know, you have Chase Elliott, like I said, Eric Jones going for his first win this week as well. Um, Daniel Suarez even trying to become the first uh, his, his first win in the Cup Series. Who do you think um, has the best chance to, for their first-time win here this weekend at Talladega? I think equipment-wise and um, talent-wise, it's got to be Chase Elliott. Um, he's been running well, uh, even without um, – I mean, he's had some penalties. He's had a couple bad luck things, but he runs well. And he has the best equipment of all the non-winners in the history of the Cup Series. He's running in top-notch stuff. Alan Gustafson's back on the box this week, so they should be back to normal. Uh, I think it'll be a good move for Chase Elliott's got a really good shot. I think of the teams that are underfunded and everything like that, just imagine the story. And if you think Clint Boyer's party was big when he won Martinsville, just imagine what happens if Matt Benedetto wins. I mean, hell, he cried like a baby when he finished fifth at Bristol for BK Racing. Just imagine what he does if he wins for Go Fast. That would just be amazing. I think Bubba Wallace has a shot. He showed he could run well at Daytona. But the thing is with Daytona, and it wasn't like he was in the top five all day, he was in the top 10, top 15 all day. But by the time all the uh, all the cars went to the junkyard, Bubba was in the top five and got himself into the top two. Um, I don't think Bubba's got the equipment and the horsepower to get up there and win unless something crazy happens. And it's Talladega. Something crazy is probably going to happen. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. It is, you know, a crazy weekend. It's always a crazy weekend at Talladega. They have uh, so many odd stories surrounding this racetrack. With, um, you know, uh, it was b- built on an ancient Indian ground, and so there's been some spooky things going out there. I remember one time uh, I read that David Cisco, a former driver in the '70s, his mother got killed in the infield by getting hit by a truck with a with a, a side mirror walking on the infield uh, road. It, just crazy stuff that's gone on at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, there's all kinds of, of myths and, and kind, all kinds of stuff that's gone on here at Talladega that um, makes even adds to the intrigue of this track. Um, but we've seen so many good finishes here. You know, we've talked about Kozlowski's first win. That ended up in a crazy finish. I mean, who can forget Carl Edwards going into the catch fence? Um, I've talked about earlier and mentioned numerous times the late Ron Bouchard's victory in 1981 when he ducked underneath Terry Labonte and Daryl Waltrip. He was running third, ducked underneath Terry Labonte and Daryl Waltrip, who were running for the win uh, at the trial and pulled away to victory um, in just his 11th start. Never won again in the Cup Series. Um, Brian Vickers 
made contact with Jimmy Johnson, his teammate. Johnson slid into Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Vickers went to victory lane. Of all those finishes, John, which one do you think is the greatest finish in Talladega history? There's been a lot of them. I know there's been a few with controversy. One for sure was Rick Mast and uh, and Harry Gant. When people claim that Rick Mast um, you know, rode the back bumper of Harry Gant when Harry Gant was running out of gas back, I believe, in 1991, and Gant won his only super speedway race. So uh, there's been a lot of craziness at Talladega. It seems like it always comes down to a, to a historic finish. Which one – is there a Talladega finish in your mind that sort of sticks out um, – as the, as the greatest finish in Talladega history? To me, it's got to be Brad Keselowski winning that first race. Um, he went down. Carl tried to block him. Carl wound up in the catch fence. Um, Ryan Newman lost his hood, finished second with no hood, and Brad Keselowski won his first race, and it was for James Finch in Phoenix Racing, the only cup race James Finch ever won on the cup side. Um, and it was just a cool day. Um, Carl... He knew he was wrong with what he did, but he wound up getting payback whenever they were running Xfinity in St. Louis and put Brad into the wall, and he did it again in Atlanta. So there was some animosity about it, but Brad was where he was supposed to be. He wasn't allowed to go below the yellow line. Carl tried to cut him off, and he wasn't there. So guess what? Carl goes into the fence, and it's the same thing happened a few years later when Tony Stewart was leading the field and tried to cut everybody off and wound up roof sky grounded and landed on the 15th place car and ha- took out half the field. Um, it's one of the things of the plate track. You do as much driving with the mirror as you do in the windshield, if not more. And to me, your object is to go fast, not try to keep somebody else from going fast. If they can pass you, they pass you. If you put yourself in a position where you can take out the field, that's wrong. And that's not racing to me. But I think the Keselowski finish was probably the uh, best finish and a hell of a great story because James Finch got to go to victory lane the only time he ever did it in a cup series. Yeah, and if you remember correctly, he dedicated that victory James Finch did to the late Neil Bonnet, who passed away in one of his race cars in 1994 at Daytona. Um, So, you know, it was 15 years later that he was able to uh, dedicate a victory to Neil Bonnet, which he wanted to do his entire life and finally got one um, at, at the Cup Series level uh, and dedicated that win to Neil Bonnet, who lost his life tragically in 1994. Uh, but there's been so many good finishes at Talladega. I mean, I remember in 93, there was two uh, particular, in particular, there was two great ones, one with Ernie Irvin winning and Ernie Irvin finishing second. The one where he won uh, ended up with Rusty Wallace going airborne, flipping eight or nine times after contact with Dale Earnhardt. Um, and, and just sent Rusty into the infield in, in a memorable and iconic finish and an iconic wreck, uh, you know, just a few months after Rusty did the same thing at Daytona, uh, where he made contact with another car and, and went spinning and crashing, so, and, and flipping over end over end. Um, so that one was a wild finish, and it ended with Ernie Irvin in victory lane. The second one, the diehard 593, ended with Ernie Irvin just a, a nose behind Dale Earnhardt uh, coming to the stripe, it's it's just it was a wild finish. Ernie, you know, Ernie and Dale at the at that time, I think, were pretty good plate racers. Dale, obviously, being one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time, and Ernie, a pretty darn good one in his in his own right, and in one of the best ever restricted plate cars in a Morgan McClure number four. So um, those two stick out. 
You know, I think Ronnie Bouchard's win in 81, like I've mentioned a few times, that was a great one. Uh, passing Terry Labonte and Daryl Waltrip, that was pretty awesome. Uh, and, and the list goes on, you know. This racetrack, it's, it's huge, it's big, it's fast. Um, it, it always seems to deliver exciting finishes at the end of it for sure. You know, and I think that's what's so great about Talladega is you don't really know what's going to happen. I had a buddy text me today, and he's like, who should I pick fantasy-wise this week? And I said, well, I, I think the list of who you should pick is going to be a lot less than who you should pick. Uh, I think I gave him seven drivers' names and says, don't pick those drivers. Um, they probably don't have a shot at winning, but literally everybody else has a shot at winning. And to me, that's what makes Talladega so interesting. I think you, me, and Lee and Virginia have as much a chance as anybody else that's going to be strapping into those cars. Um, I mean, you look Kyle Busch in victory lane. Whenever they asked him about the chance of going for four in a row, he says, hell, it's going to need a miracle because you cannot predict or have any idea what's going to happen at Talladega because it is not in your control what happens. If you get in the wrong lane and you get boxed in, there's nothing you can do about it unless you're going to take people out. Um, somebody's going to get where, I mean, you've seen it where somebody just has a little wiggle and 15 cars are gone. We've seen Talladega races where 15 cars have finished. It's one of those that, like I said, I'm not taking anybody who I would want to run on a regular basis. This is one of those ones where it's a throwaway race to me. I'll take the field. I, this is one of those ones where I take a Ty Dillon or I take a Matt Benedetto, or I take a David Reagan or I take a Michael McDowell because they have just as much shot as Harvick, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Clint Boyer, Brad or, Brad or Joey, Chase Elliott, any of those guys. I'd say them for like a real racetrack where the car matters. Right here, it's who's holding the steering wheel. Everybody's it's in who's who's got the better engines. And if you look, Doug Yates' horsepower has been doing it because Ford's what won five in a row and six of the last seven. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think they have a great shot on Sunday. Um, you know, we'll talk about a little obscure drivers. You know, that are in the cars this week. Um, we look at the entry list. Joey Gase, he's driving Starcom Racing's Chevrolet this week. He's got Sparks Energy on the race car. That's one driver who's in the car that you don't really see. Ross Chastain's in the 15 again. He's been running that car a lot this year, uh, but he's in the 15 if you're, if you're wondering about that. Other drivers that you don't normally see, Cool Custer, the Xfinity Series regular um, for uh, Stuart Haas Racing. He's going to be in the 51 for Rick Ware. This weekend, Haas Automation on that car. He's got a chance, I think, to absolutely win and only his second career cup start. going to be interesting to see what he can do. Brendan Gaughan, who ran the Daytona 500 for Beard Motorsports, he's going to do it again here. And all four plate races this year in 2018, he's going to be doing it again, number 62 on that Chevrolet. Beard Oil Distributing and South Point Hotel and Casino uh, joining the sponsorship of that car as well in number 62. Um, and one, we talked about this last week, but I want to touch on it again. A Truck Series veteran, Timothy Peters, will make his Cup Series debut driving the, RE, the, Robbie Benton, Rob, uh, the Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. Excuse me, not Robbie. Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises, the number 92 Ford. Michael Hess, the crew chief there, Advanced Auto Parts, Black 
Tire and Auto, BTS Wheel and Tire Distributors, uh, BB&T Bank, all the sponsorships on that Ford uh, this weekend. And DJ Kennington, the Canadian, we've seen him running a lot more races this year than he did last year. Last year, I think they attempted two races going Brothers team. This year, this is about their fifth or sixth. We saw him run Phoenix. We saw him run Martinsville, running this weekend at, as well at Talladega. Uh, no sponsorship announced on that, on that car right now with Mike Hillman as the crew chief. So 40 cars for 40 spots. Nobody's going to go home. Makes qualifying ra- extremely, extremely, extremely boring uh, at Talladega. So uh, just something to keep an eye on there. Only 40 cars for 40 spots. You gave your pick, John, earlier on uh, last week. Who's your pick again? Who's your pick again here uh, on Wednesday? Has anything changed? Uh, who's your pick to win the Cup race I'm on still, Sunday? I'm sticking with Blaney because I really think um, the Ford horsepower has been great this year, and Blaney's due. He he was the best car at Daytona, um, and Talladega is going to be even better. The horsepower shows more, and they can handle. I think Blaney's the guy to beat because he sure was at Daytona. just got caught up into a mess. Absolutely. And you, like you said, Robert Yates horsepower in that Ford, I think that's a huge, huge, um, certainly a, a, a big advantage for those guys. Uh, NASCAR Xfinity race also this week. There's 41 entries for that event. Um, Sparks Energy 300, that, that races. NASCAR Xfinity Series couple of drivers, you know, it's a, it's a dash for cash race, so no cup drivers in the field. If you compete for cup points, you will are not eligible to compete for this weekend's race. Um, you know, so we look at, at the obscure drivers. Uh, Shane Lee driving Richard Childress Racing number three this week. Tommy Joe Martin is in the eight for BJ McLeod Motorsports. Joe Nemechek, the veteran, the former champion, driving the 15 for JD Motorsports. Noah Gregson in the 18 again for Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Austin Sindrix in the 22 car for Team Penske. Um, you have uh, nobody in the 54 car this week. Ty Majeski in the 60. Uh, Timmy Hills in the 66. And uh, you keep going through the entry list. You have Jeff Green in the 93. Sounds like he's going to run all the laps. Spencer Boyd in the 76. He's there every week. Chase Briscoe driving the 98 car this week for Biagi Dembesti Racing as well. Um, so that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on, see how these kids do. Uh, it's going to be a fun Xfinity race, John. I think it's awesome to see that cup drivers aren't in the field. Um, what are your thoughts quick on the Xfinity Series race this weekend? I think it starts and ends with Christopher Bell, and Cole Custer's going to have a shot because he's got the good uh, Ford horsepower with Stuart Haas um, and Roush Yates engines. I think and the junior motorsports drivers between Allgaier, Elliot Sadler, and um, I think they're going to have a good shot at being respectable this week. That's the cars that I think is going to have a chance to win. Again, one of the things, if there's a race where I don't like the fact that there's no cup drivers in the Xfinity Series, it is this one because there are so many people in this race who have not seen the light of day, let alone a 2.66-mile track where your foot's on the floor the whole time. And there, there's going to be some pileups in there, and it's going to be because drivers are in over their heads instead of equipment malfunctions or something like that. These are, there's going to be people who just have no business being in a, in a Xfinity this weekend who are on this track. And that's a sad 
one of the sad parts about it whenever they go to Talladega and it's a Xfinity only race. I think the Xfinity only races have been great so far. I just think this one has a disaster written all over it. Yeah, it's going to be uh, wild to see because, like you said, you know, I've seen, I've heard people one time, you know, when they did a push draft at Daytona a bunch of years ago, um, I heard somebody on the radio say, you know, you had to, to team up with somebody, you had to tandem with somebody. And I was listening to a, a veteran driver's radio, and he said, I want to team up with this driver in front of me. And he said, and I quote, the spotter said, and I quote, well, this guy hasn't done any drafting, so he doesn't know if he can do it. And I said, well, what in the world is he doing in this race? That's scary. Um, so to me, that you know, that just shows you all you need to know sometimes about some of the guys that get approved to run this Xfinity Series race. So you, you do have a valid point. Uh, it is a little scary, but I guess the, you look at it too, the best way to get experience is to go out there and race. But uh, you, know, you also have to keep in mind this is a very dangerous sport still. You can still get some people hurt. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what these guys do. It's a toss-up, total toss-up in the Xfinity Series as far as who wins that race. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on that one. One of my biggest pet peeves on the Xfinity Series is that these bumpers line up in these race cars, and they have to make the judgment call whether or not they're pushing because it never seems to get right. They black flag some drivers for it. They don't, don't black flag others. To me, that really is a turnoff of the Xfinity Series race on these play tracks. I wish they just said, you know what, let's build a race car that the bumpers don't line up. Um, and, and so that doesn't become an issue anymore because, man, that drives me crazy. It's just such an unattractive finish. You know, you see, I'd rather have these guys push than not push if their cars are eligible to push. Um, it's just, to me, it makes it very unattractive. It's, it's a fact of this It's a factor of this racing on the Xfinity Series that I can't stand. And I hope, um, you know, a judgment – it doesn't come down to a judgment call this weekend – at Talladega for somebody to make chase or not, or make the playoffs or not. Uh, 919- uh, here on Talking Circles, the number to call us is 917-889-8280, excuse me, here on Talking Circles tonight. An interesting little tidbit, John, coming out from BK Racing and the bankruptcy court case. Uh, the Race Team Alliance says that uh, BK Racing owes a $20,000 for an annual dues, a race team with one charter. Uh, as a status, also said that um, BK Racing stated that Earthwater decided to not go forward with their proposed sponsorship contract. Uh, the bank, the trustee who's running the team said they're working on potential sponsorship, even maybe with Earthwater for future races as it continues to operate the number 23 BK Racing car. The status, the next status update is scheduled for May 8th. That's Bob Pockers, of course, on that as well. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard, BK Racing is now under the uh, the ruling. A trustee is in control of that organization as Ron Devine, the former owner of that team, filed bankruptcy and, lo- and lost control of that team earlier this year. Uh, Greg Golding's on the entry list. Earthwater is well on the entry list for this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. But what, do you, what are your thoughts on this little bit of news here for BK Racing, um, and how long do you think this trustee can continue running this team? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I think they're going to try to continue to run the team. So at some point, some way that charter is going to be worth something and NASCAR doesn't take it back. Um, and that's one of the things where I don't get, and I, it's one of those, it's a mess. And we talked about Ron Devine being a mess for the sport for the last two years. Um, two years ago, he had a shop pad locked and then, well, it was a mistake and then he got open, somehow got it open again and everything. 
but it showed that in the bankruptcy filings, he's piled $35 million of his own money into it. But what's interesting is it costs $20,000 a year to be a member of the Race Team Alliance. And I don't blame some of those teams now because the Race Team Alliance does what they do, and it benefits everybody. If you've got a charter, you get the same thing as a Race Team Alliance team does. So I don't know why I wouldn't pay the 20 bucks. Sort of like joining the union. The union has a thing going on, and it benefits everybody. Why pay the union dues when you're going to get the free cheese? I think it's interesting that it is 20 grand a year to be a Race Team Alliance member. Um, the other part that kind of shocks me out of it is um, the, the bank actually took the charter as collateral. Because if you read how the rules are, the teams don't own the charters. NASCAR owns the charters. NASCAR gives the charters to the team, and they are performance-based. And the last, what was it, last three charters on the bottom of the points, 34, 35, 36, are reevaluated every three years. So I don't know how a bank takes the charter as collateral because NASCAR owns it. They hand it to somebody for a certain amount of time, but you're you're putting something up as collateral that isn't yours. And I don't know how some bankruptcy judge is going that, well, the creditors get the charter. And, again, it's one of those things. I don't get where they're able to sell the charters. But it's one of those convoluted things that NASCAR continues to find a way to, instead of creating franchises, they come up with this goofy charter thing. Just make it a franchise like it is in any other sport. Then you can buy or sell it instead of worrying about whether or not you have a certain amount of points. If you have a team, you should be able to sell it. If you don't, sorry about your luck. Yeah, it's the charter situation is so interesting just because we don't know a whole lot about it. There's a lot of secretive details that seem to be about it. So it's interesting. It's BK Racing, you know, you look at it and you say, how much, how many more races did that team have left in it? You know, Greg Alding's obviously a driver, a young kid who trying to learn on uh, out there. But I mean, that car is so far off the pace that you know you have to wonder exactly what he's learning because uh, when you're that far off the pace, it's it's really tough to to figure out. Um, you know, to really get the, the car and even figure out how to make it better because you're so far off the pace. So, man, I don't know. It's a shame this has gotten to this. Um, you know, Ron Devine, I think he tried to win races, put a lot of money into his team. I know a few years ago when he, he bought a, a couple of chassis from Michael Waltrip Racing, bought a bunch of equipment from Michael Waltrip Racing, um, and the team really didn't get a whole lot better. I think he was expecting to sell a sponsorship for more than that, and he wasn't able to do it. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a sad situation. It's a team that I think tried to um, sort of rebuild – Red Bull Racing a little bit. He was Devine was a uh, a big wig at Red Bull Racing, and before they got out, after they got out, excuse me, uh, Devine was able to put the deal together real quick, buying a bunch of chassis from them and and making turning it into BK Racing. But um, the team has had a lot of different drivers, a lot of different crew chiefs, a lot of different crew members over there over the last uh, seven or eight years, and uh, I think this is sort of the beginning of the end, if not the end of uh, of BK Racing. So uh, a sad situation, no doubt about it. Um, you know, and One of the things it does, Clayton, it, it shows you the, it shows you the uh, situation the sport's in. 
You look at Ron Devine, who's put $35 million bucks into that team and couldn't get better than 30th. You look at someone like Ryan Priest, who mortgaged his house and his future to buy himself into two, two Joe Gibbs racing races last year. You have a driver paying to be in the car. Not a good business model. I don't think you're going to find a professional football player who's going up to Bill Belichick and say, hey, coach, let me give you $100,000 so I can be on the Patriots this year. You don't see um, – I couldn't go up to um, the general manager of the New York Mets and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to uh, be your relief pitcher. Let me give you two hundred fifty k and I'm going to be your closer. I don't see that happening. It's just crazy that a driver is mortgaging his house, and he doesn't even own the team. I could see it back in the day, like when Daryl Waltrip ran his own team and almost bankrupted himself because he's putting so much of his own money in to keep that number 17 team alive whenever he was an owner-driver. I could see that. But you're just a driver who's going out trying to build a career, and you're driving for a top-level team and Joe Gibbs is saying, "Well, I got a seat for you, but it's going to cost you a hundred or two hundred thousand bucks." Yeah, you you bring up a, a very interesting topic. Um, and, and talking about the baseball thing, where you say you couldn't walk up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars and and buy a position on the New York Mets, it brings me back to that commercial of the New York Lottery a bunch of years ago. And I don't know if you got it in your area or not, but um, there was a commercial about a guy who won the lottery and bought a baseball team and they you know kept making bad plays and striking out the plate and they interviewed the manager at the end of the game and he says you know he's he's really making some good at bats he's really trying trying real hard out there and the last question is does it matter that he owns the team and the manager says next question uh mm-hmm. so and, and it was kind of a, it was kind of a chuckle and a, a chuckle and a laugh and he sat there and said it's a really funny thing but that's sort of what nascar is turning into um, especially in the lower divisions, trucking and Xfinity. Um, and you've got a really, really, that's a really scary double-edged sword you're putting yourself into because I'm all for getting young kids in these rides. Uh, if you want to build a youth movement, I'm all for that. I think uh, more power to you, but you have to make it about talent. You have to make it about um, winning races. And, you know, to me, that is the most important thing. Uh, is, is competition on the racetrack because at the end of the day on Sunday, we always say this, when you sit down on Sunday, you can't see who's in these race cars. You cannot sit there and say, well, I, I can see that that's a lady in that car and that's a guy in that car and that's you know this guy in that car. You can't see it. All you can see is a race car. And all you're sitting down to do is watch. And if you're entertained watching that race, watching the best drivers in the sport go at it, then you win. If you're not, you're not. And, um, you know, that's what you want to see. You want to sell the fact that these are the best drivers in the world. Uh, I always think a part of what NASCAR needs to get back to and how they can get the younger folks in the NASCAR is make the dream of becoming a NASCAR driver a reality again, where, you know, if you want to be a baseball player, you know, a, a kid says to his dad, dad, at, at seven years old, dad, I want to play baseball. The dad goes, okay, I'll buy you a bat and a glove. You know, if I want to play basketball, okay, I'll buy you a basketball and maybe some shoes. Hey, Dad, if I want to play, you know, hockey, okay, I'll get you a stick and a puck. Um, you know, and if uh, if I want to play uh, football, I'll get you a football and we'll throw it around the yard. Hey, Dad, I want to go racing. 
oh, well, haha, do you have $50,000? Because that's where we start at. And that $50,000, you're not going to get back. So it's an extremely, extremely, um, you know, expensive sport. It's not like there's leagues out there where you can just pay $200 like you can in the baseball, little league baseball team and you're on a team. You know, that's not how it works in, in lower division racing. And, and again, I, I think this is out of NASCAR's control, um, but it's something that I think is a very dangerous thing because, like I said, you want to, when I'm a young kid and I'm growing up, I want to be a baseball player, I'm watching baseball games. Uh, if I want to be a NASCAR driver, I'm watching a NASCAR race. But if somebody tells me that that dream is, is not uh, – you know, is is impossible because I don't have the money behind me. That's going to make me real sour on it, no doubt about it. Well, let's look at some of the ones who um, the Danica experiment was three years too long. And the reason the Danica experiment lasted as long as it did was she brought money to the table. Um, Trevor Bain, we're talking about him right now. Advocare is a big fan of Trevor Bain. Advocare came with Trevor Bain to Roush Fenway Racing. And Advocare has been pleased with what Trevor Bain has done off the track for them. But he's not performed, and Matt Kenseth is a performer. So Jack Roush, he's tired of losing. So Roush went to Matt Kenseth through Mark Martin, got him back in the car. And if Advocare walks away, if I'm Jack Roush, this is one of the things that I would love to see again. This is where talent gets behind the wheel not money. And until NASCAR finds a way to get a better financial model, it isn't going to work. I mean, like you said, whenever I was a kid, yeah, I wanted to drive a race car. I went to the racetrack on Saturday night, and Larry Wright was my favorite race car driver in a late model. Drove a Ford Mustang, number 31, red, white, and blue. I wanted to be Larry Wright. And my dad was as good a mechanic as there ever was. But we didn't have 50000 bucks to build a late model. We didn't have a budget to get five engines for the year and refurbish them on a regular basis. So what was my racing career? I watched it, and that was as close as I was ever going to get. And that's the way 99.9% of the world is going to be. There are... There's 37 guys on a regular basis at the Cup Series. They're not even filling the full field of 40. And that's because of the financial model that they're having. If you could break even finishing 40th, they would fill up the field. If you could break even finishing 40th, they'd probably have 45 cars at the track. You can't break even unless you're a top 20 car and you have a ton of sponsorship. I mean, you think about it. The winning drive, I mean, the last time I remember them putting out when Jimmy Johnson won his last championship, he made $10 bucks for the year in winnings. It costs $30, $35 million to run a full cup season in a competitive car. Just from your winnings, you're $25 bucks in the hole. That's not a way to run an organization. And as long as the tracks keep getting 65% of the billion-dollar TV contract, and the teams are getting 25% to split through 40, I mean, 36 to 40 cars, it's a struggle. They're going to struggle to feel full of uh, keep 36 charters going. And you and I have joked about it. You, me, Lee, and Virginia can pull our money together and probably buy a charter 
and put a car on the track every week and finish 30, finish 40th and still get our money for the year. As long as we have a charter, we should be able to become close to breaking even, especially if we don't change tires. We run out, go out and have a handling problem with 10 laps in. We could make money that way. But you're never going to be competitive unless you have a way to make up $25 million plus through sponsorship. Yeah, no doubt. I think it's a tough situation. I think they're working on it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. I think it's a very, very difficult um, business model, you know, and and something that, um, unfortunately, you know, I don't see it any – I think it's too far out. I think part of the problem is the multi-car teams. And I've seen a bunch of people tweet this week or say – I shouldn't say tweet – put on social media this week – about NASCAR lifting uh, the four-car limit per team in the Cup Series. There's no limit in Xfinity. There's no limit in the Truck Series, but there's a limit of four cars per organization um, in the Cup Series. Do you think that would help anything? I mean, you know, to me, all that would do is basically make five race teams. Not that that's much different than what we see now because you see a lot of teams out there that, uh, you know, use the same chassis and engines as the big-time teams, even the smaller teams do. But what are your thoughts on, on lifting uh, the four-car limit? Do you think that would help anything at all? I think it's – I mean, the funny part is the four-car limit came in because Rick Hendrick went to uh, Bill France and bitched about Jack Roush having five. And now Rick Hendrick is one of the ones that's going, hey, I can afford five. I can do five. But one of the things – I don't – I honestly don't know how – anybody's going to do more than four teams. Stuart Haas Racing right now is probably the best four-car team on the track. Clint Boyer is not funded. There's so many Haas automations on that car, and Clint Boyer's won a race this year. Clint Boyer's been in the top ten most of the year, and that car is not funded. That car was funded pretty good with Tony Stewart because he had Bass Pro Shops and he had Mobile One. But when Tony retired, Mobile One split it amongst the group. And there's a couple rush truck centers in there. They had Ford Hall of Fame on Hall of Fame fans on at Richmond last week. They're getting money from Ford, and Gene Haas is a billionaire, so he puts his name on it. But there's no funding for that 14 car. Rick Hendrick is patching together stuff. I mean, he's got Exalta and uh, Nationwide and Liberty University splitting between Bowman and um, William Byron. I mean, there's races available for Chase Elliott. Next year, Jimmy Johnson doesn't have a sponsor yet. So I don't know where anybody's going to pull a fifth car out of their hat and uh, be competitive with it because half the four-car teams can't be competitive. And Roger Penske's probably the richest guy in the sport, and he's only running three. He just added a third this year. It wasn't like he's been running three for a long, long time. He had two before that. Um, and they got an association, obviously, with the Wood Brothers for that fourth car. But, yeah, no, it's um, – I just I, – I don't know how that would help. I think four cars and multi-car operations have really hurt this sport for a new number of reasons. Um, I just think, you know, it really pushed the little guy out, and I think a lot of the fans really rooted for uh, the little guy and, and the smaller teams, and, and you don't see that anymore. Um, it eventually turned into one big, you know, teams using engines and chassis when they didn't have to. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. It was a great show. 
Um, and we'll see you next time after Talladega on Sunday night. See you next time. See you there. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.